concerned. I want to uh, I want to say this morning that I'd like to talk to you about grace. You know, we uh, we think we understand the word. We think we understand grace, but there and there are many references to grace in our everyday lives. You know, when you borrow money from the bank, they're going to give you a grace period. Yeah, that's about as far from grace as it really gets. Because during the grace period, you... Uh, uh, okay. During the grace period, if you don't pay everything back, guess what? They're going to come after you and they're going to ask you for the payment. They're going to ask you for the penalty. They're going to ask you for the interest. And they're going to ask you for... They're going to ask you for... Oh, got it. Thank you, Dallas. And they're going to ask you for anything else they can get away with. That's not grace. Because real grace, real true grace would forgive the penalty, would forgive the interest, and maybe even the payment. That would be grace. You know, we, we talk about the seedy politician who falls from grace. We talk about musicians who speak a grace note. We describe an actor as... Her actress is gracious and we a dancer is graceful. We say grace before meals. We sing amazing grace. Many churches, hospitals, and even some people have grace in their names. We talk as if we know what grace means, but do we really do we really understand? When asked, do you believe in grace, who's gonna say no? I believe one of the reasons that mankind does not understand grace is that we want to measure God by our standards. We want to put him in a box that we can comprehend. We want to to put him right here on our level. But God operates on a different level, something we cannot fathom. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God delights in his creation. And nothing gives him greater pleasure than to deal with us in mercy and grace. So what does grace mean? Let me give you a definition. Grace means unmerited mercy. Grace means unmerited mercy, and it also means undeserved favor. Unmerited mercy and undeserved favor. Grace is something you did not ask for, something you did nothing to earn, and something that you'll never, ever be good enough to get. You see, God deals with us in in grace because he's God. And, And when we stop trying to establish our own righteousness and stop counting on our own good deeds, then maybe we can see grace in a different light. And maybe we will accept Christ as God would have us to. You know, there's not any part of the Bible in which we do not find God dealing with sinful man in grace. He doesn't delight in judgment. He delights in mercy. God doesn't delight in judgment. He delights in mercy. This is one of his attributes. And he's anxious to deal in mercy with every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. But here's the problem. Men, women, and children are running away from God's grace. They don't want anything to do with it and won't accept it as a free gift. Don't believe what I'm saying. If you want proof, let's go back to the Garden of Eden, all the way back to the very beginning. 
And as we read the story of man's fall, you see no sign of repentance. Adam did not confess. He did not ask for pardon. He did not ask for mercy. He simply made excuses. But God dealt with him in grace. And God dealt with him in mercy. If God had dealt with him in judgment, without grace, then Adam would have drawn his last last breath right then and right there. But God dealt with him in grace. We see grace shine several places in the Old Testament, but we don't really see it in its fullness until Christ comes. So this morning, if you have your scriptures, open up to John. John 1. We're going to read a couple of scriptures there. John 1, verse 14. When you have it, say amen. Amen. John 1, 1, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came for the Father, full of grace and truth. Now let's jump down to 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Now let's flip over to Romans and we'll read a couple of more verses. Romans 5. Romans 5, 15. And God's word said, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the results of one man's sin. The judgment followed one's sin and it brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Verse 17, for if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, So also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. Verse 20, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for each one that's here. God, I pray that you would speak to us. You, Holy Spirit, would move in this place and that you would receive all honor and glory from anything that's said or done here today. Not Joel, but you. May I decrease so you may increase. And I thank you in advance for what you're going to do here today and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are four truths that we see in these scriptures we just read. One, grace is free. It's said over and over, grace is free. 
Two, Christ is the anointed one. Christ is the anointed one sent by God, and he was sent to deal with us in grace. It says it over and over. He was sent, and he dealt with us in grace. Three, grace came by Christ, and you cannot get it except through him. You can't go around Jesus. That's impossible. And Jesus himself said it. You can't go around Jesus. It, you couldn't get it through him. And fourth, in order to receive God's grace, you must meet Christ at the foot of the cross. You have to meet him at the foot of the cross. I want to give you two examples of grace from Jesus' life. And the first is out of Matthew 15. And this is the story of a woman who came to Jesus. And she, she was seeking help. She was seeking help for her tormented daughter. Now maybe there's someone here, here today who is seeking help for their tormented daughter or maybe their son. And let me assure you, there is hope in Jesus. Let me assure you, there is hope in Jesus. You're looking at leaving proof of that. Amen? Now this woman in this story was not an Israelite, so she automatically had a strike against her. Why? Because Jesus had come for the, for the lost sheep of Israel. The Jews bragged that they were better than all the nations around them. They called their neighbors Gentile dogs. Man. And they felt justified. After all, they were descendants of Moses and Abraham. But this woman came in faith, crying out to the Lord for help. Maybe she understood something that the Jewish leaders and, and the disciples did not. Maybe, maybe by faith she believed Jesus had the grace that she was looking for. You know, I just love the fact that, that, that God always shows up just at the right time, the right place. And sure enough, Jesus is about to teach them all something they knew nothing about. She was earnestly praying and she was hungering for something. But the disciples tried to send her away. One of the disciples, maybe it was Peter because he was the most outspoken and usually said things sometimes before his brain was engaged. But anyway, he says, Lord, send her away. She is bothering us. It's like, really? I can just see Jesus as he looks at Peter and he shakes his head. And he says, really, Peter? You don't know my heart. And neither do you know that I have a blessing for this woman. So finally, Jesus speaks up and he said, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Let's just stop right there for just a second. Let me ask you a question, ladies. Ladies in the house, how would you, how would you act if someone called you a dog? I can't even imagine the implications. I can't even imagine the fallout and all the junk that would happen in today's world. But look, but look at how this woman responded. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. This was the right response. This was a humble response, and it pleased Jesus. So he says, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Wow. This woman came to Jesus with tears. She came, she came open. She came for mercy. She did not come with a title. She did not come with prestige. She did not come with prominence. She came with a simple prayer. Lord, help me. 
That was all she wanted. That was all she needed. That's all she asked for and exactly what she received. Her daughter was healed. Wow. God loves to give. He delights in giving. You know, I believe that oftentimes we do not receive because we do not have the faith of this woman. Oh, we ask, but we don't really believe that the God who we say we trust can really do what we're asking for. We don't really believe that. We say we do. I was reminded of a story I read recently about a televangelist. Well, he decided to go snow skiing. He was so full of himself that he refused to take any lessons, and after, after all, his faith would get him through. He knew God would take care of him. So even though he had never skied before, he strapped on some snow skis and headed out to the lift. He jumped on and he passed the beginner slope. He passed the intermediate slope and he went all the way to the very top before he got off. As he departed the, the lift, he stepped onto the slope and immediately started down the hill. Oh yeah, out of control. He was zipping past skiers and trees and sometimes he was standing and sometimes he was tumbling. But he knew God was going to protect him. He made the first, but he missed the second very important turn. And immediately he went off the cliff heading to the bottom of a very deep gorge. About 10 feet down, he miraculously grabbed a tree limb and there he hung, suspended, suspended with death below. He yelled out at the top of his lungs, is anybody up there? Now, it just so happened that this minister saw the whole thing unfold. And this particular minister had been on the receiving end of the televangelist's criticism for his lack of faith. So the minister stayed just out of view and called down to the televangelist, Yes, there is someone up here. It is I, the Lord. The time of your testing is at hand. The minister continued, now, if you really believe what you say you believe and what you often proclaim, then let go, and I'll send my angels to catch you. Now, well, they were dead silence. Then finally, the televangelist said, Is anybody else up there? <laughs> you see, oftentimes, we don't really believe what we say. The second story from Jesus' life is in Luke 7. In Luke 7, let's read a couple of verses if you want to flip there, Luke 7. Starting in verse 2, there was a centurion servant whom his master valued highly. He was sick and he was about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to, to, to him sent him to Jesus, asking him to come and to heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Wait just a minute. Let's stop right there. Did you hear what I just said? Did you hear what I just read in verse 5? The Jewish leaders were asking Jesus to drop everything he was doing to go and to heal the centurion's servant because he was worthy. 
And what makes him worthy? Works. Verse 5 says, because he loves our nation and because he has built our synagogue. He was deserving of God's favor because he had, he had done something good. Brothers and sisters, you better be praying that God does not give you what you deserve. Because of our sin and our rebellion against the loving God, we deserve hell. Eternal separation from a God that loves us so very, very much. Ridge stood up here and he said it before and I'm going to repeat it. I'm glad I'm not going to get what I deserve. All too often people think that if they do enough or they give enough that God will look on them with favor. A lot of good people tend to think that God owes us something. That God is under obligation to us. That his mercy and his grace are dependent on our good works. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Nothing could be farther than the truth. If you forget everything else I say here today, I want you to remember this. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. Getting back on track, verse 6 says, Jesus went with the Jewish leaders. Now, I want, I want to just insert something that's not written down here. Jesus had no intention of doing anything for the centurion based on his good works. You see, Jesus is God, and he, he knew what's going to happen. So let me read just a little bit further. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go. And he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He was amazed at, 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 at him, and he turned to the crowd following him, and he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. The centurion sent his friends to Jesus to say, I am not worthy and I do not deserve. I'm not worthy and I don't deserve. Wow, talk about humble. You know, when you get to the place that this centurion was, who put others above himself, then you're getting a little closer to the kingdom of heaven. And God can start to deal with you in grace. Let me ask you a question this morning. When's the last time that you told someone else, I'm not better than you? When's the last time you said, I'm not better than you to someone else? Sadly, we think we are better. Most of the time we don't say it, but sometimes we sure act it. But here's this powerful man, and he chose to show his humility, and that pleased Christ. And he used it as an example to the Jews, to the Jewish leaders. 
right there with him right there and for us today. Jesus dealt with him in grace. And he deals with us in grace when we're willing to be nothing. God can deal with us in grace for salvation when we allow him to have mercy on us and not before. Read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 to you right quick. Because this makes it very clear about salvation. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. But mankind is still to this day working to get into heaven. We cannot accept that salvation is a free gift. We have a problem with that. Let me give you an example. Suppose I offer this Bible to my friend John. I'm not going to say his last name to protect his identity. But he takes the Bible home and his wife Roxana says, Oh, excuse me, I just blew his identity. (laughs) So he takes the Bible home and Roxana says, Hey, John, where'd you get that? And John says, Joel gave it to me. Now that's a gift. That is a free gift. But suppose when I offer this Bible to John, he says, I don't want that Bible on your terms. Because I don't want to be under obligation to you. I don't want to be under obligation. That's the way we are as people. That's the way mankind is. We don't want to be obligated to God. Not wanting to be obligated, John take, gives me a quarter. Gives me a quarter for the Bible. He takes the Bible home and rocks in and says, where'd you get that Bible? And John says, well, I bought it from Joel. Now, this Bible is worth a lot more than a quarter. But it makes no difference whether you paid a quarter or whether you paid a million dollars for it. At that point, it's not a free gift. Because John did something for it. It's not a free gift anymore. And it's the same way with salvation. If, if we do something for it, then we can boast about it and we can, we can talk about all that we've done. I can just see John like, yeah, man, I got this for a quarter. That's a good deal. I did it. I did it. That's the way we are with salvation. But I'm glad that one of the things that won't be in heaven is boasting because we get enough of that right down here on earth. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank y'all. Besides, if man could work his way to heaven, then Jesus died for nothing. I want to make something perfectly clear right here, right now. I did not jerk myself out of the slimy pit. I did not take away the drugs and the alcohol. I did not change the person I am. I did not work in my life to create a new person. I did not shed my blood to cover my sins. I did not hang on the cross, and I did not die to save myself. I am so unworthy, and I know that Jesus doesn't owe me anything. So if I boast, I boast in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's where it all came from. He did it for me, and it was free. I didn't deserve it. I sure didn't ask for it, and I will never be good enough for it. Two personal stories, and I'll close. I've had the privilege to go all over the world. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not, I'm not bragging on Joel. I'm talking about what God has done. 
But I've had the privilege to go all over the world, and I've seen thousands of people come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. I've seen people, even hundreds at a time, come to know Jesus. But one thing that I've heard from so many people is this. I don't see how God could save me. I don't see how he could save someone like me because I'm just too bad and I've done too many things. I'm just too bad and I've done too many things. I remember being in El Salvador several years ago and I was witnessing to this lady. And we were standing in front of her house and she told me that she was too bad and that she was too dirty. She was too dirty for God to accept her. Well, in this community where she lived, the sewer didn't run underneath the street. The sewer ran in a ditch right in front of her house. And we were standing right next to that ditch. I told her that Jesus would accept her even if she fell in the ditch and she got completely covered by all the bad smell and all the bad junk that was flowing in it. And she asked me how I knew and it's what I told her. I said, I was the person in the ditch, and Jesus accepted me. She broke down and she cried. She never thought God could love her that much. A lot of people, just like a lot of people, she didn't understand that God doesn't see what we are, but what we can be. God doesn't see what we are, but he sees what we can be. The second story, and I'll never forget this, when we were on the Amazon River, and we had anchored our big boat next to a small village. We went into the village, and we went into the surrounding area by small John boats, because most of the people live along the river. Everybody there knew why we were there. They knew we were there to share Christ. In a small community, word travels fast. The second night we were there, we uh, had a church service and almost the entire village came. The village and all the people that lived, lived close. And this small church was filled to capacity as they had the privilege to bring the message that night. Now the church being filled was considered a miracle by the mayor because they only had just a few people that ever came on a regular basis. So when it comes time for the invitation, I ask those who would like to accept Christ or who accepted Christ in the past couple of days to come forward. The majority of the people that were sitting out there came to the altar. We prayed for and we prayed with everyone. Then the mission team invited, divided up and we took a small group of people and we ministered to them and started to answer their questions. And I went from group to group to answer any questions they might have. When I came to this one group, there was a young man there. He was struggling and he had some questions. When I asked what was wrong, he explained that he was a drunk. And he was the son of the town drunk. And he didn't believe that God could love him enough to save him. He didn't believe that God could love him enough to save him. After all, he wasn't a good person. I told him God loved everybody. God loved everyone and it didn't make any difference. He was a drunk. I explained that God could change him. 
He looked me in the eye and he said, how do you know, preacher? I looked him in the eye and I said, because I used to be a drunk just like you. That night, Christ came to live in the town drunk and in the town drunk son. Praise the Lord. So my question for you today is this. Do you have a goldfish grace? The kind of grace that sits up on the mantle, sits up on the bookshelf and it looks good? Or do you have God's grace? The kind of grace that changes lives, the kind of grace that gives us a new heart, the kind of grace that molds us and shapes us into the likeness of Christ. But here's the really big question. Have you been snatched out of the slimy pit by God's grace? You know, the Bible says all have sinned. And that's bad news. Because there will be no sin in heaven. So if your desire is to be in heaven, you won't make it without Jesus Christ. But here's the good news. The Lord is not... The Lord is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. God was patient with me. And maybe he's been patient with you. But I had to make a choice. How about it? Will you accept God's grace? Will you accept God's mercy? Or would you rather have God's judgment? It's your choice. I had to make the choice. You had to make the choice. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for the opportunity, God, that you give us each and every day to to become a part of your family. Today's a special day. Today you have brought us to this place is not an accident that anyone's here today. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in this place and that you would draw people according to your perfect purpose. God, your grace is sufficient. Your grace is enough. But help us to understand that that grace only comes when we accept it. It's a free gift when we accept it. We're not good enough. We never will be. Help us to accept that. Holy Spirit, move in this place. With your eyes still closed and your head still bowed, I'm going to ask, as the praise team starts to play, that you would listen. That you would listen to the words that you would listen to God and you would listen to God speak to you and then you would be obedient. That would be my prayer, that you would be obedient. That's that's all God wants is your obedience. He's made a way. He's made a way. Will you accept this free gift?